right, well, we will go ahead and get started. We're continuing our Sunday school series through the book Councils and Thoughts for the Spiritual Life of Believers by Thomas More. And we established in our last session a couple of weeks ago that we do not have any more copies in the bookstore, but it is a book that is available in the public domain. So, yes. We've got seven. All right, good. So it changes every week. That's great. So we do have seven copies, first come, first serve. And uh, if you're not one of the first seven to to show up and pick up a copy, it is available online as well. Um, You can Google search the name of the book and the author, and it'll easily, you know, show you the link that you can follow to get to it. And you can download it as a PDF. Um, You know, there's a number of ways to get it on your phone or tablet or computer, whatever you're using, and uh, be able to read the book. So, you know, it's, it's available for free there as well. But if you're like me and you like to hold something in your hand, uh, you know, hard copies and real pages, then you've got an opportunity to pick up one of seven in the, in the bookstore. Um, but uh, as always, definitely recommend checking it out one way or the other um, because it's, it's a really good book, which I hope if you've been following along with our series, you would agree. But today we'll be continuing in the third part of the book. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we um, moved out of the second part into the third part and covered the first four chapters. Today we'll be covering the next four chapters in part three of the book. If you recall, the third part of the book is entitled Concerning a Life of Faith on the Lord Jesus and Walking in Fellowship with Him in the Daily Path. At this point in the book, Moore has turned his attention to encouragements that he's giving the believer in that daily walk that we experience with Christ, and he's reminding us of things that we need to keep in mind as we seek to have a closer and closer fellowship with Christ each day. It's a very encouraging section of the book, though the entire book has been very encouraging, but this uh, section has certainly been a joy to read through. So today, as I mentioned, we'll be covering chapters 5 through 8. We'll actually skip around a little bit um, as far as what the chapters are covering, um, and we'll try to get it all done today. We've got a lot to cover, but it's really good stuff. What you'll see, I think, is a focus, uh, a continual focus in these chapters on the importance of resigning our will to God's will, submitting ourselves to his will every day, even in times of trial. Moore actually spends a good deal of these chapters talking about the need to trust upon Christ in the midst of trials, not just in good times, but in bad times. So with all of that said, let's go ahead and get started here. Starting out, If you remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Moore had talked about the need to be constantly looking to Jesus as the primary source of our, uh, or the primary object of our attention and also the primary object of our affection. He made the point numerous times that if we would have you know, a good fellowship with Christ, we need to be constantly looking to him, constantly thinking about him, you know, continually redirecting our minds away from distractions and back to Christ, 
that way we're paying attention to them. And that all sounds very simple, you know, but it's, it's not always easy. Uh, there are many things that distract us. And here in this chapter, more goes into a little bit more detail. I thought this was really helpful because it's one of those things that, again, seems obvious, but in practice it's not actually easy for us to do. I also thought it was good because this is a question that comes up often um, in the life of the believer is how do I, how do I manage my thoughts? How do, and even, you know, adding on to that, how do I manage my time so that I'm living a life devoted to Christ, but at the same time doing all the things that I need to do in life, um, you know, taking care of my responsibilities this, I think, is maybe even a, a bigger question often for new believers or people who are young in the faith, because when you first come to faith in Christ, often you're filled with a, a zeal, a desire to, to leave behind your, your old sinful ways and to live for God, but pretty soon you run into situations where you realize that there are competing interests in your life, you, know, you you want to, it'd be great to sit there in your room all day long reading the Bible and, and praying, but there are other responsibilities that we're called to. And so, you know, very quickly, we have to start learning how to discern how to use our, our time and how to, how to control and discipline our, our minds as to what we're allowing ourselves to think about. This is particularly difficult if, like I say, for new believers or, or folks young in, in, in the faith, who haven't been around mature Christians very much and haven't had the example to look to of godly men and women who can model for them what it looks like to, you know, raise a family and go to church and do all of the things that we need to be doing, but also make the time for, you know, private devotion, devotion as a family. So I, I think this is, a, it's a good thing that more decided to spend a little bit of time here, and, and we will spend a bit of time quickly walking through what he said here. Um, so he goes through it uh, in a way that I think is very helpful. Let's just go ahead and read these excerpts from the chapter. Moore says, you will necessarily meet with much in your social and private life that will, for the time being, prevent your mind being specially occupied with thoughts of Christ and spiritual things. That seems pretty clear, right? We, we know that there are many things that will, take our, that will occupy our minds and prevent us from necessarily thinking only upon Christ all of the time. Moore continues, It is necessary always to make a distinction between judici- judicious occupation of the mind, which is necessary for the proper consideration and carrying out of needful things, and that willful occupation of the mind, with those things which are not necessary, and the known tendency of which is not only to prevent the mind thinking of Christ, but to give the mind a distaste for thoughts of him. The former are not sinful, although it is well in them to refer everything to Christ as a friend and helper, so that they may be the pathway of daily communion with him. The latter are, however, decidedly sinful and should therefore be firmly resisted and discouraged." First, what we see there from Moore is that he acknowledges that there are 
obligations and what he refers to as needful things which will necessarily occupy our minds from time to time. We know from Scripture that God gives us certain responsibilities in life and that we're called to fulfill those responsibilities. For example, you know, you could take myself or other men who are husbands and fathers. We've been given responsibilities by God to love our wives, to provide for our family the material things they need, but also to provide for them spiritually, to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These things are going to occupy our thoughts because we ought to be thinking about how to do these things the right way. And obviously that is going to prevent us sometimes from necessarily thinking only about Christ. We may be thinking about, you know, the exact ways that we're working out discipline within the lives of our children, or it might be, you know, when he says needful things, it might be thinking about needing to go fill up the car with gas. You know, it could be anything that we need to do. But the point is, you know, we have to have the maturity and learn how to make discernments about uh, the, you know, the right occupation of our minds between, you know, things that are truly needful, things that we do need to be thinking about, and then other things which are not needful, things that are not necessary, as he says. And the reason we don't like these types of answers is because it, it doesn't deal with every individual situation. It leaves us to having to use our own discernment. But we know that this is true of Scripture as well. Scripture doesn't necessarily address every single question that comes up in our daily lives, but it does give us general principles that we can follow. And that's not to say that Scripture doesn't directly address any issues. Certainly we see in God's Word He addresses certain issues very directly. But there are others that are left to us to use discernment, and they ought to be approached with you know, great um, effort in prayer and in reading the Word and you know, trusting God, trusting uh, the Holy Spirit to help guide us along in making those decisions. But again, we, we know that there are principles we can follow. And so that's what, these are what more is laying out here. You know, the principle to be able to distinguish between what is, what are the things that are necessary that will occupy the mind versus items that are unnecessary that tend to serve as distractions from thinking about Christ. I think we all could probably, you know, think of the particular th- things that tend to occupy our own individual minds. We all have things that we tend to uh, run our minds over. So say, you know, whether it's daydreams or, uh, you know, things that we like to think about that aren't, you know, really necessary. They just tend to distract us. Those are the things that Moore is pointing out need to be avoided as we look to discipline our minds. The main reason he gives is that you know, well, it's twofold. They prevent us from thinking upon Christ. They can easily consume our whole minds. And so it's not that, you know, any individual thought that's not necessary about, or that's not necessary is uh, not good, but when our minds are being carried away thinking about other things, when we should and ought to be thinking about Christ, those are the things that Moore's getting at here that we ought to look to avoid. 
And then the other problem is that whenever we get caught up with or obsessed with certain lines of thinking, those things also tend to give us a distaste for the things of Christ or thinking upon Christ. Can you think of any examples in your own life where you've, there are certain things that occupy your mind so much that when you finally, after a long time, realize that, oh, I've, I've just wasted a lot of time thinking about this. It really wasn't necessary. I need to, you know, turn my mind to something more fruitful. I, I should be in prayer or, or thinking upon Christ, but it's hard to get your mind back onto Christ. Yeah. Yeah, worrying about Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard it's hard to get your mind off of those things once they're on them. And I think that's what Moore is getting here when he says it gives us a distaste for the things of Christ because we would rather just keep obsessing over whatever it is than turn our mind to Christ and just let let it go and, and focus on praying to him. So I, I think these are good principles to, to use, and like, like I said, they don't cover every scenario, but it allows us to, to come back to this as, as we try to use good discernment. And then lastly there, I, I think this last little sentence that he has is also a really good summary to, to give the folks who are trying to figure out how to, what does it look like to have my mind set on Christ? What does it look like to be thinking upon Christ? Moore says, communion with Christ does not necessarily imply that the believer should be always thinking about him or always talking about him, but it does imply a mind that will not readily engage itself with what it knows to be injurious to the spiritual life and a mind glad to embrace every opportunity which will help the soul to realize more fully its interest in Christ and to promote heart fellowship with him. I think that's a really good summary of the mindset that the believer ought to maintain being cognizant of those things that tend to be distractions and not allowing our minds to go there because we know it's just a waste of time and then being eager to set our minds upon the things of Christ it's easier said than done but it's a good um it's a good principle to strive for. Next, we'll look at additional comments Moore has. Um, and here we'll turn a little bit to what will be the focus of pretty much the, the remainder of these chapters here, where Moore is talking about the need for us to be dependent upon God and to submit ourselves to his will. Chapter 5 of the book um, I flashed it up there, but uh, it's titled On the Excellency of a Resigned Will. So let's start off by reading what Moore has to say here, and then we'll talk about it a bit. Moore says, The great cause of the want of spirituality of mind in believers is that they do not live in daily life as before the Lord, walking as in his presence with a sincere heart, being perfectly sincere before him, perfectly open with him in all things, and sincerely desirous of growing in the knowledge of him. When there is lacking a resigned will and a contented mind, great spiritual tempests arise, and much sorrow and turmoil follows. 
It is well to remember that the best help in every season of need is the realized presence and love of Jesus through faith in his promises. To have Jesus himself more consciously near and his love more fully realized in the path of peculiar trial, affliction, and conflict is more supporting and more blessed than the ordinary experiences of the believer in the ordinary and less trying path of life. So the point Moore is making here, it's clear and it's one that's consistent with our experience as believers. There are certain seasons in life where we experience great spiritual discouragement and spiritual darkness, where we feel isolated and distant from the Lord. Moore is here referring to those as tempests. He uses the example of a tempest and will continue to, to build on that but essentially calling them great storms, which are accompanied by much sorrow and turmoil. And indeed, these times can feel like unrelenting storms that beat down on us day after day um, that we would love to be delivered from, but they continue to rage on. And in these situations, sometimes we even have the audacity to harbor feelings of resentment toward God or frustration towards him, because of our circumstances that we find ourselves in. But the reality is, when we find ourselves in the midst of spiritual darkness, it's usually because we've wandered off into the darkness, away from the Lord, entirely of our own volition. And it's only once we get to the point where we truly feel desperate that we realize what we've done. Sometimes this can be because we have particular sins in our life that we love, and we desire to pursue, and that we don't want to be exposed by the light, so we're content to stay in the darkness. We don't want to bring those sins before God in repentance. Sometimes it's due to our lack of love for the Lord and passion for his word. And instead, we're filled with passion for the things of the world and the desires of the flesh. But whatever the reason, we typically find ourselves in the midst of these tempests, due to our own sinful desires and actions. We might like to think of ourselves as Job, as being tried and, you know, under trial and and being tortured because, or despite us having been often faithful to God, but in most cases, that's really not it. In most cases, our struggles are completely of our own making. It's, It's entirely on us. And so notice the, the two things here that Moore points out as being lacking. He, he says, you know, there is lacking a resigned will and a contented mind. If we're to be trusting in and walking with Christ, it's critical that we do so with a resigned will, meaning that we are willing to submit our will, our desires, our hopes, our plans, to his will because we understand that his will is far greater and more righteous than anything we have dreamed up or anything we might feel within our hearts is the right thing to do we know that God's will is better we're willing to say thy will not mine O Lord be done we have to be at that point if we truly want to be able to walk in good fellowship with Christ if we're allowing our will to, to come into the picture and continue to battle against God's will, that we, 
we cannot be surprised when our fellowship is disrupted because of this. But he also mentions a contented mind. We have to be content with you know, the circumstances that we're in, knowing that wherever we are in life, God has put us there. And we know he does everything for his own glory and for our own good. This is another thing that's easier said than done, especially when we're going through painful trials. But all the same, if we're not content with the Lord and with what he's doing in our lives, we can't be surprised when our fellowship with him is disrupted, when our walk seems to be diverging from the right and proper path. In these situations, we always have to remember there is one and only one way out of the depths of despair and sorrow, and that is by turning back to Christ and drawing near to him. That's the only place we'll ever be able to find comfort in times of need. It's Christ who blesses the needy sinner with all needful things and brings the sinner back into fellowship with him and into the warm and comforting light of his countenance. Then Moore reminds us that as we walk with Christ, as we are trusting and depending upon him, we also need to rest upon him. We should think of it that way. We ought to be resting upon his provision in all things, even when it's not necessarily what we have asked for or what we think we need. We need to realize that he is wiser than us, and we need to rest on him. As it's... uh, Moore says here, rest only and wholly in the Lord Jesus. Simply rest and quietly wait as one who knows not into what path the hand of the Lord may next guide your steps. Yet as one well assured that all must be well, because it it is his hand that guides and his presence that cheers. You may have still increasing evidence in your pilgrim path that this is not your rest. Nevertheless, walk trustingly onward and leave all with him. We can recall in the Gospel of Matthew, Christ's own encouragement, uh, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We ought to take note of how Christ defines rest there. Rest still involves labor, but his burden is easy compared to trying to walk without Christ. So again, this is just a good reminder that Christ does give us rest when we're finally willing to submit our wills to him and to trust in him for all that we need. Then as we turn to chapter 7 in the book, if you've been following along through there, more uses the example of Jesus walking on water, the story from Matthew chapter 14. He uses that to draw an analogy to our own relationship toward Christ and trusting in him in times of trial. Uh, 
This is a very familiar passage. We've all probably read it many times. It's a great story as well, but um, the way that Moore goes through it I think is very helpful, and it's certainly in keeping with the theme that he's drawn for us here of trusting upon Christ through you know, times that are good and times that are bad. So let's go ahead. We'll, we'll read from Matthew chapter 14. Um, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we'll, it's Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Um, I'll go ahead and read through the biblical passage. Then we'll read through some of Moore's commentary and talk about it ourselves as well. So let's go ahead and start here um, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's go ahead and read through. First, let's read through what Moore has to say here, and then we'll, we'll comment on that. So Moore says, Consider well the lesson taught by the experience of the Apostle Peter. When this Apostle walked on the sea, he did not begin to sink until he looked away from Jesus. It was then that the boisterous wind caused him to fear, but it was his fear that caused him to sink, and not the boisterous wind. In his fear... However, he, he cried, Lord, save me, and quick was the response of love. For immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The wind did not cease when the Lord stretched out his hand to Peter, but they walked together hand in hand all through the storm. They walked along the waters, rough as they were, and with the wind as boisterous as when Peter saw and was afraid. But Peter walked unharmed, and now without fear. What are the points that Moore is making here? Well, first of all, he mentions that in the midst of the storm, it was not actually the storm itself, the external circumstances, the frightening external circumstances, that caused Peter to sink. It was... Peter's lack of faith in Christ. As soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he begins to sink, when he stops trusting upon Jesus. How true is this of us as well in the midst of many of our spiritual tempests when we feel we can't keep our head above water? 
How often is it because we've taken our eyes off of Christ? Our attention has been diverted away from him to the frightening or painful trying circumstances. We become overwhelmed by the wind and the waves, and we forget to look and to call out to the one who commands the wind and the waves. I think we could all acknowledge that this is often the case for us when we're going through times of trial. Secondly, Moore points out that as soon as Peter cries out to Jesus, as soon as he cries out, Lord, save me, Jesus' loving hand immediately reaches out and catches Peter up out of the waters. How many times have we likewise found that Christ is ready and waiting to deliver us through times of trial when we would finally, at long last, finally after so much time trying to find a way of escape ourselves, have finally turned to him and, and called out for help, genuinely cried out for help. When we've gone to our knees broken and asked for the Lord to help us, how many times has he been right there ready to do so? And thirdly, we see that while Jesus could have commanded the wind and waves to cease at that moment when he pulled Peter up out of the water, he didn't do so. Instead, he led Peter back to the boat in the midst of the ongoing storm. And once they were in the boat, the storm ceased. This gave Peter the opportunity to walk alongside Jesus and to realize that Jesus was his source of comfort in the midst of the storm. And Jesus didn't just remove the external circumstances. He walked alongside with Peter and gave him comfort in the midst of them. We continue reading Moore's comments here. He says, Blessed companionship did Peter have. Never would he have had such a special manifestation of the love and watchful care of his gracious Lord but for that storm. And thus they walked along together. It may please our gracious Lord Jesus not to quiet the troublous waters around you, but to let the storm continue at its height for a season, that you may the more learn what a precious guide and preserver and comforter he is, and that you may, as it were, go hand in hand together with him over the stormy waters. Indeed, it's often the case that the Lord, in his perfect wisdom and in his perfect love for us, does not remove the spiritual tempests from our lives, but rather he comforts us with his presence, and he teaches us to cling to him and to lean upon him and trust upon him as we walk through these storms, as we walk over the raging waters. Saints, whatever storms you may be enduring or whatever storms you may endure in the future in your lives, however deep your sorrows may be, however dark the night may be that you have to travel through, remember always that those storms will no sooner destroy you than they would destroy the one who upholds and supports you, Christ himself. Take comfort in this. And I ask again, have, have you not experienced this in your own walk? You know, have we not experienced this ourselves when we've been through times of trial? How many times we've prayed and, and cried out to the Lord, asking for trials, certain trials or, or 
painful things to be removed from our lives. And the answer that we got was not the one we'd asked for. He doesn't choose to remove those trials, but instead he comes alongside us and walks with us through those tempests, through those storms. And this has taught us to learn to continually trust upon Christ. It's a blessing from him that he uses even the worst situations in our lives to help us to learn to depend upon him more and to draw us closer to him in fellowship, which is the greatest blessing that we have, a greater blessing than would he have just removed the trial in the first place. Again, I know this is easier, easier said than done. It's, it's not easy to maintain this perspective when you're in the midst of great pain. But it's no less true. You know, I, I can even think of, you know, in my own lifetimes of, you know, spiritual struggles and spiritual darkness and, you know, particularly a, you know, a time when I was in a situation at, at work where I, I was really struggling with work, but then also newly married and, you know, trying to deal with that and trying to grow in faith, you know, very immature in my faith, trying to, to grow and learn about the Lord and looking for resources and, and people to talk to, to learn from him. But I remember, you know, time being in, in great anguish every, every day, all day long, morning to evening, you know, just, you know, struggling. And, and my continual prayer was for the Lord to remove this from me. But in his wisdom and in his love he did not and I eventually got to a point where uh, I was literally uh, I would go out for a lunch break and just go for a walk and, and, and pray for about an hour I would just walk, walk and pray every day uh, so literally walking with Jesus you know, there's, there's a literal walk involved there and I remember after a period you know, this went on for multiple years but I, I remember at one point finally realizing oh maybe Maybe I was wrong in, in asking for the, this, um, you know, uh, this burden to be removed. Because, look, I've, you know, for years I've, I hadn't been walking with Christ in the way that I ought to have been, and it was my own wandering off that had got me in this situation in the first place. But now I found that Christ had brought me back to where I was praying to him and going to his word and, and making these daily walks, you know, literally daily walks with him. Um, and so, yeah, eventually I, I finally realized, oh, it's maybe he knows better than I do what is good for me, and maybe uh, you know, his, his plans are, are wiser than mine. But I think God often does this for us, uh, particularly when we've brought you know, sufferings upon ourselves. He often doesn't just remove those sufferings. He uses them to to bring us to a closer, more intimate fellowship with him and to grow us uh, in grace. So I'm sure you can think of you know, your own examples that are, are similar. Uh, just one more word on this um, before we move on. I think it's something that's really important to catch here. Uh, you know, we talked about the, the way that God uses even the worst and most painful times in our lives to bless us through bringing us to greater dependence upon him. Um, he also is so gracious that he uses those times also to help deepen our assurance of our salvation. 
uh, stay with me. I don't want anyone to miss this. Um, when we are confused, you know, about what's going on, when we're upset about the enduring painful trials that we're undergoing, um, we have to remember that the Lord also uses these to help us to realize you know, what Peter calls the tested genuineness of your faith. Right? When Peter is talking in First Peter about the trials we go through, helping provide us with the tested genuineness of our faith. But um, if you would, uh, quickly we'll read from Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 24. Um, I'll go ahead and read this uh, passage, and then we'll talk about it. There, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. We're all familiar with this saying from Jesus, right? It comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in this, you know, in uh, finishing up uh, that particular teaching, he has been talking about dis- the, you know, distinguishing, he's been drawing contrast between the genuine believer who not only hears the words of Christ, but does them, that follows in obedience, and the false believer who might profess belief, but ultimately does not actually uh, have a true faith and does not um, ever turn to Christ in repentance and obedience. And so uh, the analogy that he provides us here of, of these houses also serves to show that contrast. Notice that both the genuine believer and the false believer, you know, they may look very similar in times of prosperity, but when the storms come, and they do come on both, you finally see the difference between the two. You see the genuine believer whose foundation is Christ, is the solid rock, still left standing, whereas the false believer has fallen away because they were not grounded upon Christ. Now, how does this tie in? Well, we've been talking about times of trial. Notice here that times of trial actually help to provide us with an even greater certainty of our true foundation. When the Lord delivers us through these trials, he's actually blessing us by showing us that we truly are in Christ, that we truly belong to him because we are left standing. I just wanted to make sure we don't miss that piece because our God is so great and that he he provides us even with great blessings through the times that you know we're in the greatest amount of pain. And lastly, as we close here, uh, we'll read one more quote from Moore, encouraging us and reminding us that it's a blessing that Jesus does not permit us to, to find any comfort or any source of strength outside of him. So we've talked about that, how he's our, he's our only buttress in these times of, of great trial. He's our only foundation, and anytime we try to lean upon anything else, we find that we fall. But, you know, Christ is being gracious in this by showing us that he is our only true support 
Um, Moore says here, it is a cause for thankfulness if the Lord Jesus does not permit us to lean on any creature whatever. When we keep quite close to him and do not even expect rest in anything or anybody else, nothing will move us. Let us then ever remember that Jesus is always with us. We have not to make his presence a fact, but to live conscious of that which is already and always a fact. We rest on that and what our lips cannot even whisper forth of the struggling within. Let our hearts speak in silent communings with that loving one who well knows all we are and all we feel. Indeed, in the midst of storms and raging seas, we find our only hope is in Christ's embrace, and we learn to walk with him in faith, hope, and love. I'll leave you with some words from one of the hymns that we'll actually sing today, because I think they do a great job of summing up what we've been talking about here. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. All right, well that concludes our Sunday school. Um, were there any comments or questions before we close out here? Yes, Nikki. I, I That's right. No, thanks, Nikki. That's good. I mean, Nikki was pointing out, sort of tying from what we talked about in the beginning through to the rest, that you know, we we can't allow ourselves to think that we're going to order our lives so as to remove the distractions or remove the trials and tribulations. Um, that's not the goal. Um, what you know, the, the blessing that we have in Christ is that He uses those things to allow us to bring them to Him, to draw us to Him, and and take these distractions to him, take these uh, problems to him regularly, and so that's really the pattern of life that we're looking to to uh, strive for, is not getting rid of the problems and distractions, but learning that when they come, to take those to Christ always. Good comment, Nikki. Thank you. Um, did anyone else have any comments? Oh, Becky.
that's great. And that's exactly the, you know, the thing that we have to keep in mind is the Lord already knows what our problems are. So don't feel like we have to wordsmith our prayers and come up with the exact right words. Just, just go to pray. And like you said, Aaron, it'll work itself out. You know, if you sit and, and sincerely pray to him, it, the words will come, the right words will come. And, yeah. All right.